It's another edition of Making Money, the show that tries to provide a little financial literacy with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager, used to look after people's money and their affairs. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron and I have known each other a long time. We, we've often talked about the issue of financial literacy. You touched on it in our last episode, Ron, that so many of these younger generations, they are not financially literate. And that's what we're here to try to spread the word about how to look at all these different things. And when we talk about the demographics, as we have with the baby boomers and Generation X, Y, and Z, what are the, what are the implications as far as investing with all of these different shifts? Well, the most important implication for investors to realize is that there's a real demarcation between the silent generation, the boomer generation, Generation X, or the echo boom generation, which are essentially born uh, before uh, 1980. And so they're kind the of on one side? That, they're on one side part, of this? Yeah, they're on the one side of this. They're the conservative. They're essentially following traditional, um, you know, they watch TV, they bank, they shop at malls. They, they do traditional stuff. They had kids early in life. They bought a house. They paid for it. They stayed with their job over a long period of time. Uh, they go on vacations. They like driving cars. All those things. Well, the millennials and Generation Z, which followed them, they think entirely differently. And so if you're investing with the premise that you're looking through the economic opportunities and investment opportunities with the lens of your own experience, you're going to start making mistakes because right now we're getting the millennials are just getting into their 40s and they're just starting to take power and have a huge amount of economic influence. And of course, the silent generation and the boomer generation, they're getting older and they're starting to, to drop off as they, as they pass on. And so we're at a point where over the next decade, this change happens slowly. But as millennials gain power and as the Generation Z gets older, this change is going to happen very, very quickly. I mean, you just look at a couple of years ago, even two or three years ago, who would have thought about by 2030, the country after country after country would say, we're not going to be allowing the manufacturing of cars that use fossil fuel. Well, that's just happened here over the last couple of years. And the changes that we're going to see with so many other areas are literally going to be breathtaking. So if you're investing, you need to know and be paying attention to how these younger generations think because they're going to be driving the economy and thus the investment opportunities going forward for the next generation. Well, it's the smart aleck in me, but I hearken back to our, our first episode where we were talking about when we did the, the show on uh, Bitcoin. And you talked about how much energy is involved in mining Bitcoin and, and keeping it going. I thought to myself, well, if we're going to use all the power to build the computers to manage Bitcoin, how are they going to plug in their cars? <laughs> but anyway, like, it's just the smart aleck in me. Uh, as the population gets older, demand is going to grow for a lot of things. And front and center there is health care, right? Health care, retirement facilities, and home care facilities, and stocks or ETFs in these sectors should be owned for the long-term gains because this isn't a short-term trend. As we talked about uh, two shows back, 
the the boomers and the silent generation use five to six times more healthcare services and thus costs than the younger generations do. So, you know, you examples would be a, a stock like Johnson and Johnson, which provides both uh, drugs and uh, you know the hardware joints and things like that. You've got another example would be Chartwell Residential Services. And just for disclosure, I own Johnson & Johnson. Uh, Chartwell Residences is uh, re exclusively retirement homes. And as more of these people downsize out of their homes and move into facilities like that, they're going to do well. There's a Canadian company called Severia, and they make aids for daily living. Like, for example, if you get you want to stay in your home, but you live in a two-story uh, they'll have those chairs that go up and down the stairs and all kinds of uh, elevators that you can put in, things that will, allow, uh, that will allow your car seat to swivel and come out so if somebody's disabled, they can move from the wheelchair into this, uh, ways to rejig your van so that uh, you can uh, retrofit your van for disabled, uh, all these things. So these are just a few examples. There's lots of examples, but these are the kind of companies you want to be looking at. You want to have some exposure to them because this is a sector with legs that's going to carry on for not a year or so. This is a sector that is going to grow for 10, 20 years or more. Okay, what about the, about the older generations or the ones with the disposable income, as we have documented? So one would think that, for instance, travel and leisure might do well. Well, certainly the pandemic has put a lid on this, but you you just notice how hungry people are for for travel. I mean, in places like Florida and Hawaii, over Easter, they were packed. The West Coast, you know, Vancouver Island was packed with people uh, that just wanted to get out and get away. They're tired of being locked up. And certainly the this pent-up demand, I think, as soon as uh, we get more jabs in the arm, and uh, with the vaccines and we get the pandemic behind us, you know, you're going to see uh, a flood of cruise ships and luxury resorts. People are going to flood out to use them because they haven't been able to spend their money and they're going to do so. So like Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Dell Resorts, which, is the, which owns Whistler and a number of big ski resorts in the U.S. as well, I think they're going to do very, very well. Anecdotally, I can say that, you know, my wife and I are trying to be optimistic looking ahead to next year and, and looking into travel plans for next year. Already, a lot of stuff's already sold out, right? Like oh, the, yeah. People are anticipating a big explosion when this thing finally is behind us. So uh, take heed on that one. What about, uh, we talked about the, the, the collector cars. Good time to sell them right now. Yeah, market's really hot for this stuff. If you've got anything that's collectible that's trading at a massive premium, remember, your kids probably aren't going to even want it. So why not monetize it? And frankly, 70 grand, maybe it'll pay for you and your spouse to take a trip around the world next year. So if you've got a collector car, you've got any of these things, baseball cards, there's so many other things which, which boomers and the silent generation have collected, uh, cash them in while the market's still there. Okay, the oil, oil and gas and automobile sector could really take it on the chin here moving forward, but I don't think we're quite there yet, are we? No, we're not there yet. And I'm, what I'm saying, especially about oil and gas, Gord, is that over time uh, we'll be in long-term decline. But long-term decline means that even in 2050, um, the fossil fuel usage 
which will still be 50% of what it is today. But still, that's a 50% decline over 30 years. And there's going to be shortages along the way, so there's going to be trading cycles. So uh, oil and gas stocks used to be, a lot of people held the big names, especially the integrated companies like Exxon and Imperial Oil and Suncor. Like they held them because they, they had refining as well as, as uh, exploration arms. But now I think the oil and gas are trading vehicles because you're going to have shortages uh, with legislation that doesn't work. And of course, then they're going to be uh, reaching out and trying to get more energy. So you're going to have booms and busts in this and big price spikes as you go through surplus and then shortages. And so yeah, you want to trade your oil and gas stocks, not hold on to them. So they're, they've gone from being buy and hold vehicles, especially for the big ones, to certainly trading vehicles. You talked about online media and streaming and entertainment. Uh, some companies are going to excel in this area, I would think. Disney always comes to mind. Boy, the, these guys are smart. They've they've done so well over the decades. They just seem to see the future better than a lot of other companies do. Yes, and so you've got Disney and Apple and Netflix and, and many of the big uh, gaming companies. Uh, they're the future, and so that's where you want to be looking for investment opportunities. And radio and television especially, um, you know, they're going to survive. It's not like they're going to end tomorrow. But the days of growth are long over, and you just see dwindling uh, viewership and subscribe subscriptions to their services happening every year. So if you want to stay in the fast part of the, the investment stream, you want to look at companies that are appealing to the next generation, and that is certainly – uh, areas that are online. It's one that tugs at my heart pretty hard, Ron, because I made my career in broadcasting and I, I talked to a lot of the guys that I worked with. And, you know, they talk about the golden age of radio. I say, well, we were in the platinum age then because we did yeah. well. We all had good careers, but boy, that industry has just been decimated. And I don't yeah. see it coming back anytime soon. Uh, what about the social disruption that's going to come because of, of this generational rift, if you will? Well, certainly, you know, like the kids in the in the states are getting the uh, in the south are getting down are, are are getting the politicians to tear down all the old statues of the uh, you know the the Confederacy and the uh, all the heroes that were in the south. Um, you know, even in Canada, John A. Macdonald. Yeah. Um, you know, they're tearing down statues of his, renaming schools. They're going through and really trying to sanitize history. You're seeing uh, a huge divide as the younger generation moves left and the older generation is right. The older generation, frankly, has got far more financial resources than the younger generation does. And um, certainly, I think this is going to lead to social unrest, a lot more polarity, a lot more disparity between the rich and the poor. And historically, when that happens, there's social unrest. And from an investment theme, I think it's a good time to get some exposure to gold. Uh, you know, I have a pretty good collection of coins and bullion. And, uh, you know, I think precious metal stocks are certainly you can own them, and I have a few of those as well. But you, you want to have some gold because it's like buying an insurance policy in case society does go through a tough transition. And I think that's ahead personally. 
Utility stocks with exposure to renewals. Well, we've said many times over the the couple of years we've been doing the show, you and I are both big believers in utilities because they just don't go away. We use them every day. Yeah, and and certainly most of the renewable stocks that I look at, uh, frankly, they don't make any money. So they've been pushed sky high because of the potential they have. And certainly someday they might live up to that potential. But buying utility stocks because they are dramatically uh, transferring their energy mix. So they're getting out of coal and they're moving toward renewables in a big way, natural gas, nuclear power, renewables. And certainly uh, they're not to, they're not terribly overpriced here. They actually make money. They pay good dividends. So this is a low-risk way of playing the transition from hydrocarbons to renewables, uh, certainly in a, the new economy that we're moving into. So technology and e-commerce tied to it, uh, also a place you have to look at. And, and you know, a lot of people are already there, but you, you just see it forging ahead, don't you? Oh, exactly. I mean, stories about Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, the Chinese versions of this, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, Huawei. Uh, these are expensive right now. And uh, for disclosure, I do own Alibaba, but they are the wave of the future. So you want to get some exposure to these social media and e-commerce companies. Anytime there's a bit of a pullback, it's just start adding to positions in these because this is the future. What about food manufacturers? Where does food play into this? I mean, it's changed too, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you talk yeah, you talk to young people, even the restaurants they go to, they're going to a lot more ethnic restaurants. They're going to uh, a lot more places where there just isn't formula food, where the, the menu's the same and it's the basic meat and potatoes. These guys are, are experimenting. They're eating. They would like fresher. They like healthier. They like less traditional choices in the food they consume. So places like Starbucks, Whole Foods, and even Coca-Cola uh, have really done a commendable job adapting to these changing preferences. So if you own a traditional food manufacturer and distributor, uh, you want to make sure that over the next decade specifically that they've got enough of a product pipeline so that they can satisfy the old generation, which isn't going away, but they've got the new products that really appeal to the preferences of millennials and Generation Z, because if you don't, you're just going to be in a long decline. So, you know, it's important to, to understand what that next generation is looking at and what are they buying, because that's where the growth is going to come from. You talked in our last episode about how Generation Y and Generation Z have, have real preference for kids or for pets to kids. So you talked about pet food companies as an example. Yeah, I mean, uh, kids uh, require that you have to send them to school. You have to pay for their university. Uh, last time I looked, most people weren't sending their pets for higher education. And so <laughs> pets tend to be a lot more convenient. You know, if they bark at you, you just put them in their cage. You can't do that to a kid. And so the next generation really, you know, they're, they're not having kids. And so you want to own pets. The pet industry is growing 5 to 6% a year, which is amazing. And, you know, an example of this would be General Mills. Well, they make breakfast cereals, but they're also huge into these custom and designer uh, pet foods. So uh, that's an area, and there's, there's other companies that are coming online right now that are getting into uh, especially catering to young people's desires for, for premium 
pet qual, uh, pet food, and all the toys and all the paraphernalia that comes from owning an animal. So that's a good place to be. We've also talked about how this, these, these more recent generations don't want to own, they want to rent. So if you look at, at things like REITs, I guess, do you? Or? Yeah, REITs make a lot of sense, especially apartment REITs are a good choice. And, you know, a couple examples would be a Canadian apartment REIT uh, and Tricon would be another example. And for disclosure, I also own Tricon. But any of the good REITs that have a broad portfolio of, of apartments and rental accommodation, I think this is a good bet for the long term. And just as a point on that, Ron, like when you talk, these are apartment REITs. These aren't these aren't REITs that have downtown office space, which I think is really going to be maybe under the gun here the next little while, right? Like they've taken a big hit on the chin, and I don't think it's going to get. I don't think it's going to stop soon. No, I don't think it will. And so, uh, in in the in the uh, REIT space, I think one of the shining areas. You want to stay away from malls. You want to stay away from downtown uh, office buildings. You want to stay away from so many different types of commercial, you know, strip malls and things like that. And you want to get into where the demand is going to be. And I think that's going to be in apartment REITs. Okay. And finally, uh, these two generations, as we said, they love to eat out. The the restaurant business, uh, I mean, right now it's been under real hard times because of the pandemic, but it is going to be behind us one day. And I, I would expect the restaurant business is just going to blow up once things go again. Oh, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And a good example of this would be Starbucks. You know, this is a company that really understands who their clients are. And, you know, you go in there and I mean, I'm always stunned when I, if I go into Starbucks, they ask me what I want. And I look at them almost ashamed that, can I have just a normal black coffee? Yeah. You know, cause there's, you know, there's some kid ahead of me that has uh, a Frappuccino with, uh, with uh, some kind of alternate sweetener with, uh, with two or three different blends of coffee in it. And, and the list goes on and on and they just rattle this stuff off. And, of course, the barista is going and mixing all this stuff up, and the kid leaves with a big uh, glow on their face. And there and I come up, and I ask for my lowly small black coffee. <laughs> and they, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I'm the minority. Most of the people in line are asking for all these exotic drinks, and I just want a black coffee. And so Starbucks has done a really good job of experimenting and and really understanding what their consumer really wants. And those are going to be the, that's going to be a good example of the kind of restaurant and chain that is really, really flexible and listens to consumers' needs that's going to be doing well in the generations going forward. So there you go. We've broken down the demographics, their thoughts, their philosophies, their outlooks, where they think they're going. Uh, the world is a different place, Ron. Very, very different place, but uh, that's what makes investment exciting. I mean, it's not something that you can wake up every day and it's the same. It's dynamic, it's evolving, it's changing. And so if you're going to be a successful investor, demographics is one of the big things that you under, that you have to understand. And if you get a good understanding of it, uh, the changes that you see in society will start making sense from an economic point of view. I mean, all this stuff seems crazy. And I'm not saying that, that many of the crazy things going on, uh, I, I, I have any sense of, of uh, the deep philosophical underpinnings, because I'm not a millennial. 
but I can see they're changing and I can see how to economically benefit from them. And certainly that's what this three-part series has been designed to do is help you understand the changes that are taking place in society. And one of the big drivers is demographics. And if you understand it, it's going to open your eyes to a lot more under, uh, investment opportunities than if you just stick investing the way you always did. And to quote a line, uh, as you did from uh, something that only you know baby boomers might know, an old TV show called Hill Street Blues, they always used to do roll call, and Sergeant Esterhouse would stand up there at the at the front and tell them what they were going to be working on that day, and he'd always leave with a little piece of advice, and it applies to investing, doesn't it? It does, and he said, hey, let's be careful out there. So yeah. uh, things are going to be changing on an ever-increasing uh, velocity, and you just have to spend your time thinking, observing, and being very careful about what you do because when the velocity picks up, the ability to make money also accelerates, but so does the ability to lose money. So be careful, but uh, I think there's going to be more opportunities in the next 10 years than we've ever seen before as all these new things with this new generation uh, take front row and center on the investment stage. So there you go. Some advice from the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. We're back next week with another installment of Making Money. Remember, if you have a question for us or a show suggestion, you can reach us through our website at letsmakemoney.ca or also through our friends at CFCW, their portal, cfcw.com. It'll come to our inboxes, and we'll be happy to have a look at it. And if it's a question, we'll try to answer it in upcoming episodes. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.